Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I want to start out this week's episode with shout outs to two amazing black women who I am super proud of and super proud to know. If you recall on the last episode, I talked about how there was a shout out for Ratchet and Respectable on the Tamron Hall show. And I'd heard about it. People kept hitting me up and were like, oh my God, Ratchet and Respectable is on Tamron Hall. And I was super excited. But I didn't know exactly how I landed there until this weekend. A very good friend of mine, Janine Rubenstein, she is formerly a senior editor at People Magazine, and now she is the host of People Every Day, a daily podcast for People Magazine that just launched February 1st. Janine is an amazing human. She's a wonderful person. And I have to tell you this backstory because it's really important. Janine used to be an intern at Essence over 10 years ago. I left in 2011, and I think she was there 2009, 2010. But she was an amazing intern. She went on to do amazing things, obviously. One of the amazing things that she does is offer her commentary and insight on morning talk shows like the Tamron Hall Show. Janine was asked to give a list of her favorite podcast and she included Ratchet and Respectable. That shout out on Tamron Hall got Ratchet and Respectable into the iTunes Top 100. So I'm greatly, greatly, greatly appreciative. Thank you, Janine. And, and congratulations on your new podcast. I also want to give a shout out to one of my favorite people. Her name is Nicole Walters, and she is the star of a new docuseries on USA Network called She's the Boss. It follows Nicole and her husband, Josh, along with their three adopted daughters and their manny, Eddie. I met Nicole at probably the worst time in my life. A little over three years ago, December 17th, 18th, 19th, something like that. I announced my separation from my now ex-husband online and it became an international news story. At Christmas dinner with the family, like I, I was a wreck. My family knew what was going on, but I was in a really bad place and people were tiptoeing around me and 
my uncle, mm, Uncle Nicky. I've talked about him on the podcast. Champagne Nicky, him. Champagne Nicky was like, you know what? You need you need a break from life. You and and my daughter. I won't name her because she's very behind the scenes. She doesn't really post on social media very much. But he was like, you and my daughter, you guys should go for a getaway. You should go to Salamander Resort in Virginia for the new year. And you should get spa treatments and you should unwind and you should have girl talk and you should have wine and you should, you know, figure out your lives and, and start the new year right. So I went to Salamander Resort with my cousin and I was posting away while I was at the resort because it's really, really beautiful. It's black owned by Sheila Johnson. She's one of the founders of BET. She took that BET money and she flipped it into this gorgeous, gorgeous resort in Virginia, the middle of nowhere, Virginia. So me and my cousin went there and I was posting and Nicole and I have some of the same followers and people noticed that we were both at the resort and they were like, you've got to meet each other because you guys will meet and fall in love. You'll be best friends. And so we did. We sat and we were supposed to have like a 30 minute chat and we ended up talking for maybe two and a half, three hours. Nicole is a marketing mastermind. And she charges her corporate clients a whole lot of money for her insight and expertise of how to market and how to make more money. And in that conversation, Nicole asked a waiter for a piece of paper and a pen. And she scribbled out basically my three-year business plan for me, like in steps with graphs and charts and the whole nine yards. Like, so she scribbled out the whole thing for me, explained it to me in detail And she held it up and she said, you got it. And I said, I did. And she ripped it up and she said, now execute when you're ready. And so I did. She's been an incredible friend to me over the last three years. And I am goo gobs excited for her new show. She is a force of personality. I think that's probably the best way to describe her. But she has so much energy and so much love and so much joy, really. I don't know how she finds all the time in the day to do the things that she does, but she finds it and she does everything on 10. So I'm really, really excited about her docuseries. I cannot wait for the world to be introduced to the fabulous, amazing, charismatic, funny woman that I've come to know. Um, You will love her as much as I do. So she's the boss, USA Network. The trailers are running online and it's coming very soon. And just FYI, neither of those are ads. Those are just people that I love and appreciate. They're fabulous women and they're doing great things. I have friends who ain't shit too. I don't shout them out. But these are my friends who are doing really great things. And I'm proud of them and I want to support them. So, yeah. In other good news, people who are working... In a previous episode, we talked about Nick Cannon getting a talk show. Nick Cannon is also going back to MTV. We talked about how he was banned from Viacom Airways for some perceived anti-Semitic remarks. Nick Cannon had his show wilding out on MTV, which they took from him when they banned him. But they have had a change of heart. Nearly seven months after cutting ties, Viacom announced that Nick Cannon would be returning to wilding out As the host, they said Cannon has, quote, taken responsibility for his comments and, quote, worked to educate himself through conversations with Jewish leaders. Where am I reading this from? This is from USA Today. Now, just to be clear, Wildin' Out is a billion-dollar brand. As Nick Cannon pointed out when he got fired from the show and wanted to sue Viacom to own a show that he didn't own. Viacom, I believe, tried to replace Nick Cannon 
multiple times and nobody would take the bait. Nobody wanted to host it because most of the people that were well suited to replace him were people that Nick Cannon had put on via the show. Back in October 2020, DC Young Fly, Carlos Miller, and Chico Bean did an interview on The Breakfast Club and they said that they wouldn't return to Wildin' Out unless Nick Cannon was the host. DC Young Fly, who many people thought was being groomed to replace Cannon on the show, he flatly said he wouldn't accept a hosting job unless Nick Cannon himself offered it to him. He said, quote, I want it the right way. I want it to be given to me from the OG. It's his shit. It's not corporate shit. Corporate didn't hire me. Nick hired me. So it would be a backstab for me to go be like, all right, corporate, what y'all want me to do? So in short, nobody would take Nick Cannon's job. So it was either lose money or rehire Nick Cannon. They rehired Nick Cannon. Good for him. Nick Cannon is not my particular brand of funny, but I root for everybody black. Almost. Almost everybody black. Because the next person we about to discuss, he black too. I don't really root for him now. Van Jones was on The View. He did a documentary with Meghan McCain. I saw it advertised online and I was like, the fuck is this? It's called The Reunited States. I think it's something about like healing in a post-Trump era, blah, blah, blah. Meghan McCain annoys the fuck out of me. She's horrible. I completely understand why they keep her on The View, though, because the conflict and tension is good TV. But she's a horrible person. But she and Van Jones did this documentary, so Van went on The View to promote it. Now, I think he thought he was probably going to have a feel-good time because he's doing a project with one of the co-hosts of the show. That was a fair assumption. But Van showed up. And our girl, Sunny, I like Sunny lots. Our girl, Sunny, let him have it. She said, Van, there are those who accuse you of being a political opportunist, a chameleon, so to speak, who provided racial cover for former disgraced, twice impeached President Trump. She went on to read one of Jones' past quotes in which he applauded Trump for all the quote and unquote good stuff he did for black Americans. And Sunny pointed out, Yet, just recently, you cried on CNN when Joe Biden was elected the 46th president. And you said it's easier to be a parent now. Character matters now. Truth matters. You even mentioned George Floyd. And this is when she hit him with the uppercut. She said, Van, people in the black community don't trust you anymore. What is your response? Now, I'm trying to remember the time when people in the black community did trust Van. Now, I have not always followed politics. I probably got a little more into it during the Obama administration, and I definitely got more involved during the shit show that was the Trump administration, partially because I was in screenwriting classes, and I was like, no, literally, there's an A story, a B story, and a C story every single day. This isn't coincidental. So I don't know if there was a time when people trusted Van Jones. I, I don't remember that time, but, but if Sonny says they don't trust you anymore, I'll trust Sonny here. Van was caught off guard by the question. Van said that essentially his quote about Trump doing good stuff was taken out of context. He said, quote, the entire quote I said was that Trump has done a lot of good stuff he doesn't get credit for. And then I said the reason he doesn't get credit for it is because he's done all this horrific stuff. But what happens is social media will take the clip, but they won't show the whole context. He said, my entire life has been about bringing people together to solve tough problems together. They went to commercial break. Anna Navarro. 
Now, I don't really watch The View like that, but Anna Navarro pops up on CNN with Chris Cuomo a lot. Anna Navarro be giving folks the business. Van was one of them folks on this day. She said she agreed with Sonny. She slammed Jones for taking photos with Trump's children, as well as Candace Owens. Navarro, she claimed that Jared Kushner had attempted to get Jones fired from CNN back in 2016. And she wanted to know why he was so comfortable working with a man who tried to get him fired. She said to Van, quote, all of a sudden you show up working with nepotism Barbie, that's Ivanka, and nepotism Ken, that's Jared Kushner, and showing up in pictures with Eric Trump and with Candace Owens. And so I think there's people wondering, and I'm one of them, how did that evolution happen? How did you go from being this very principled critic of the Trump administration, as I was, to all of a sudden being in the White House celebrating with them and posing for pictures with Candace Owens? Can you explain that evolution to people who are puzzled by it? Van responded, I'm never going to apologize for putting the interest of people at the bottom first. People need champions. Whoever is in that White House, you have a responsibility to go in there and advocate and try to get people home out of prison. I'm going to keep doing it, whoever is in the White House. He added that there was no evolution on his stance, and he is proud of the work that he did with the Trump administration, and he has no regrets. I don't know much about Van Jones. Know a little bit about his personal life. That's neither here nor there. I know that when my mom was in L.A., we were driving to the Grove, and Van Jones was standing at the light waiting to cross, and my mom was like, is that Van Jones? It was. Wasn't nobody paying him no attention. But wasn't nobody black around. I do remember being at Essence Fest one year. I would say probably 2015, 2016. And Van Jones was standing on the corner, leaving the convention center, trying to cross the street. And wasn't nobody bothering him. I don't think people knew who he was. You could tell a lot about who's interesting and who's not by who gets mobbed at Essence Fest. I've seen major celebrities obviously black, who are considered A-list and people are really, really excited by. I've seen them walk around the Florida Convention Center at Essence and nobody's paying them any mind. And then I've seen other people that you might think of as like, you know, C-list, D-list. And I've seen them absolutely mobbed and completely freaked out. Van Jones didn't have that experience. I'm just saying. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. 
which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. In other news, T.I. and Tiny have halted production on Friends and Family Hustle. It's been suspended amid a range of sexual abuse allegations made against the rapper and his wife. According to an MTV spokesperson who spoke to Deadline, quote, we are aware of the allegations and while they are not connected to our show, we have reached out to T.I. and Tamika Harris, as well as local and state officials. Given the serious nature of the allegations, we have decided to suspend production in order to gather more information. Translation, shit is getting real. In a previous episode, we talked about the allegations against T.I. and Tiny. A woman came out and said that T.I. had sexually abused her and held a gun to her head. And this woman, Sabrina Peterson, she encouraged other women who've had a similar experience with T.I. and Tiny to come forward and share their stories. So she posted, I want to say like 25 stories, alleged, I ain't trying to get sued, from different women who said that they had had encounters with T.I. and Tiny in which they were drugged, in which they had sex with them while drugged. And they were held against their will by the couple. T.I. and Tiny have denied the allegations. That's important to mention. But this has gone from just social media accusations to a lawsuit. Sabrina Peterson has retained the legal services of Lisa Bloom. If you're not familiar with Lisa Bloom, she is the daughter of Gloria Alred. She and her mother are well known for representing women who have faced sexual harassment, rape, sexual indiscretions against powerful men. Bloom represented the women who accused Bill O'Reilly of inappropriate sexual conduct. Between she and her mother, they've represented female Marines whose male colleagues posted nude photos of them, women who accused President Donald Trump of sexual misconduct, and women who said they were drugged and sexually assaulted by Bill Cosby. Bloom also represented Harvey Weinstein at one point, which she apologized for. That didn't make any sense at the time. I remember that story. But yeah, these accusations against T.I. and Tiny have gone from social media accusations to legal matters. I'll continue to follow this story as there are updates because these accusations against them are very damning. I hope they're not true because what they're accused of is some crazy shit. I really hope that they're not true. But if these text messages that Sabrina Peterson was racking up, if those text messages are true, if those stories are true, if it's 25 different women accusing the same people of the same shit, they did that shit. 25 people have accused me of being an asshole and maybe a bitch. I got my moments. I confess to that. I got my moments. Some people think I'm sunshine in the sky. Some people think I'm devil reincarnate. I can be both. I can be both. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I didn't watch this year. I don't usually watch the Super Bowl. Like if there's a Super Bowl party, because it's a party, it's a good time, I'll go. I'll pay attention to the halftime show. That's about it. I'm not really a big football fan. But I didn't watch the Super Bowl this year. I went to the grocery store. I took the opportunity of everybody being home watching the game to drive like 85 miles per hour up the 101 
It usually takes me 25 minutes to get to the good grocery store. It took me 15. But it was also no traffic and people were flying by me because the roads were empty. It was great. But I saw a lot of people talking about the Super Bowl. And I was like, oh, is the boycott over? Because I remember we were boycotting the NFL at one point, And it seems that we are no longer doing that. Was the boycott called off or we just got tired of boycotting? Like, I don't, I don't know. We seem to have moved on. But we didn't get anything that the boycott was done for. Because Kaepernick is still not playing. And there are only three black coaches in the NFL despite the league being 75% black. And there's no majority black ownership of any team in the NFL. And just FYI, those numbers are from Jamel Hill. She would know. She's a sports journalist. So why are we not boycotting again? And that's a genuine question. I did watch videos of the performances because there were a lot of black people performing. I saw Jasmine Sullivan. She did the national anthem. They paired her with some country singer, Eric Church. I'd never heard of him. He wasn't bad, but he just wasn't necessary. I just really wanted to hear Jasmine sing. And the parts that she did sing without him interrupting, really, were beautiful. She has an amazing voice. I kind of feel like if she hadn't had the country singer do interrupting her, we could have actually had like another Whitney Houston moment. Like, I know there will never be another Whitney, but Jasmine, Jasmine has the range. She has the range. The girl can sing her face off. She did good last night. Her, she did America the Beautiful. I love her. She was playing a guitar. She did a lot of riffs, which I didn't mind. I was a little distracted watching her performance, though, because they kept panning to the stands. And it was like a fuckload of people. And I was like, oh, wait. Is there no pandemic where they are? Because there's a pandemic where I am. But then somebody pointed out, they were like, well, some of those people that you think you're seeing are actually like cardboard place cards. Apparently, 30,000 people paid the NFL $100 a piece to have a little cardboard photo of them sitting in the stands. I saw a bunch of celebrities posting like, oh, there's my placard sitting in the stands, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, that's cute. And then I found out, I was like, you paid $100 for it to be there. Like, you didn't know it was going to be there. Like, it was like a special thing. I was like, that's weird. But okay. But that's also $3 million to the NFL just off people not being there. You know what? Capitalism is a bitch. But there were, like, a bunch of actual people in the stands. All that fullness that I saw wasn't just a bunch of cardboard pictures. Some of that was people. And I was like, I mean, I know it's the Super Bowl and I know the Super Bowl is like sacred in America, but I'm also like, y'all willing to die to watch a game? I guess they're outdoors though. They are in a stadium without a dome. So there's lots of fresh air. I'm going to assume that the placards are there to make sure people are social distancing. So maybe it wasn't as bad as it looked when I was watching the videos, but in the videos, it looked kind of bad. I hope everyone was safe. Amanda Gorman. The Youth Poet Laureate from Inauguration. She did a poem for a Super Bowl. This is the first time they've had a poem. Which, I like Amanda. So I want her to be everywhere and do everything. But it's football. I don't necessarily need a poem for that moment. But she did a poem honoring the essential workers. Which I thought was a nice touch. I just love Amanda Gorman. I spent the better part of the late 90s in poetry clubs in Adams Morgan, in D.C. I think a lot of black folks spent time in poetry clubs around that time. Love Jones made the poetry scene really hot. 
I can't even remember the name of the place that I used to go to. Started with a B. It was in the basement of a row house in Adams Morgan, but I would be there faithfully. Never did poetry. That's not my thing. Like I'm a writer's writer, but like I, I do essays. Poetry was never my thing, but I used to love going to those open mics. But Amanda Gorman's style of poetry, her cadence reminds me of that time. She's also on the cover of Time this month. Before I went to the grocery store, I went to the magazine stand in Studio City. I finally picked up the current issue of Essence where my ad for Pantene is running. And I made the guy at the register celebrate the moment with me. And I asked him, I was like, can you celebrate this moment with me? Because like, this is kind of a big deal. Like, I've never been in an ad before. Like, I've been on the cover of magazines. I've been on the cover of books. But I've never had like my own national ad in a magazine. This is kind of a big deal. But I say all that to say, I picked up like... $100 worth of magazines, because that's like my thing. It's, it's a line item in my budget at this point. It has been for years. But one of the issues I picked up was time. Amanda Gorman is being interviewed by Michelle Obama, Forever Floatus. I haven't had a chance to read the article yet, because I just picked it up earlier, and then I came home to record the podcast. But I did read an article on CNN about the article in time. Gorman says that she is, quote, terrified whenever I perform. So she has created a mantra and her mantra is, quote, I'm the daughter of black writers who are descended from freedom fighters who broke their chains and changed the world. They called me. This young woman is what, like 22? I don't have this amount of depth in my pinky finger as this young girl. That's amazing. She also said that she's still learning how to navigate fame and media scrutiny, but she's focused on, quote, the big picture. She says, quote, you really have to crown yourself with the belief that what I'm about and what I'm here for is way beyond this moment. I'm learning that I'm not lightning that strikes once. I'm the hurricane that comes every single year and you can expect to see me again soon. I'm going to write this quote down and put it on my wall. I love this little chick. I love her. She's nearly half my age and has like 10 times my depth. I love her. Also with the Super Bowl, the halftime show was the weekend. I saw reactions to the performance before I saw the actual performance. And I was like, yo, it couldn't have been that bad. Because I like The Weeknd. I like his music. So I was like, yo, y'all are dragging this man. It couldn't have been that bad. And then I watched the video. He sounded good. I read reviews that dragged how he sounded. I didn't think he sounded bad. I thought he sounded like The Weeknd. And I appreciated that he had a healthy amount of black performers When I was like looking up in the stands to like see who was playing and who was dancing, it was a healthy amount of black musicians, a healthy amount of black dancers. So black people did receive a check from this performance. And that makes me happy. I read that he spent $7 million USD American dollars and dineros. I read that he spent that on his set for the Super Bowl. And it was a pretty set. It did look like money was spent. It kept moving. Like in half, like half would go away, then it come back together, bright light in the middle. And I was like, okay, like visually, I see where you were trying to go there. He had this gold funhouse mirror situation on the inside. He performed in there for one of his songs. And I was like, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I like The Weeknd. I really do. But I feel like his music is, is Sunday driving music or clean the house music. Or I'ma just chill and and sit here and, you know, just do whatever music. It's not Super Bowl halftime performance music. It doesn't have enough energy. It doesn't have enough pep. 
I only watched half of it because I was bored to tears and I was like, mm, I'm good. So maybe the other half of the performance was just, wow, yippee, woohoo. But what I saw, mm-mm, I didn't, mm-mm, no. And his face looked different. Like, I remember he showed up to some awards show, like, all bandaged up. And that was supposed to be, like, an extension of a video he just released or a new album concept. Or, you know, he's a little, he's a little weird, which is fine. Some black people just like to express in different ways. I'm fine with that. But his face did actually look like it had some work done. And I was like, look, if I'm going to be on a Super Bowl stage in HD to like 100 million people, I too would like to look my best. Like I'm, I'm not against a little Botox, a little filler, a little, you know, a little tweaking here and there. But he just didn't look quite like himself. That's not good. And he had cartoon villain hair. I don't know. Oh, OK. I do know. OK. The Incredibles. The little short villain, the little white villain. He had Incredibles villain hair. And that was a unique choice. My friend said he looked like Blanche Devereaux dressed up as Michael Jackson. And I was like, oh shit, that is the most accurate summation I have heard of his appearance. I just didn't enjoy it. I wanted to enjoy it. I just, I just didn't. The Chicago Tribune called his performance, quote, an expensive nothing. Ouch. What else is going on? The Golden Globes are happening. I can't promote them because they're coming on at the same time as Don't Waste Your Pretty. I was actually really concerned about the timing of that because I was like, oh my God, people are going to watch the Golden Globes instead of watching my film. But then the Golden Globes snubbed like a bunch of black people. So I was like, oh, people will tune in then. Because if you can't tune into the Golden Globes to see like your black faves, why are you watching? It's not like you're rooting for the white people. They did have some black people who were recognized. Let's start with the good news. For best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, Viola Davis was nominated for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Andre Day was nominated for the United States versus Billie Holiday. I'm really looking forward to that film. I know a couple people who have seen it and they rave, they rave about it. I think Andre Day has channeled Billie Holiday her whole career. I think this role is an excellent fit for her. So I can't wait to see it and see what she delivers. Chadwick Boseman was nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Hamilton was nominated for Best Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Soul was nominated for Best Motion Picture Animated. Daniel Kaluuya. Am I pronouncing his name right? You know who I mean, though. Blue Blanket. Blue Blanket from, uh, that's what my mom calls him, from Black Panther. You know, my mom went and bought that Blue Blanket because she loved it so much. And she put it over a chair in the family room. And we can't sit in the chair and we can't drape ourselves in the blanket because it's like a special blanket. But sometimes my mom will go read in the living room. And she'll put the blanket over her. She's allowed to use the blanket, but nobody else in the house can use the blanket. And it's only me and my dad. It's it's just the three of us. But me and my dad are not allowed to use the blue blanket. But blue blanket, he was nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm actually supposed to watch that. I'm recording this on Sunday night. I'm actually going to watch it on Monday night. I got access to one of the screenings. So I should have feedback for you on Friday's episode. Leslie Odom Jr., he was nominated in the same category for One Night in Miami. He played Sam Cooke. I thought he did a really great job. I thought everybody did a really great job. Wasn't really feeling the Malcolm X, but it wasn't bad. It was just, 
we've seen other Malcolm X's at a 10. So his Malcolm X at an eight didn't really like do it for me, but he wasn't bad. But Leslie Odom Jr. nailed Sam Cooke. Best director, Regina King for One Night in Miami. That film is her debut as a director. Best television series drama, Lovecraft Country. Notably, I mean, it's great that they were nominated for, for best series. Notably, none of the leads in that show were nominated for best actor or best actress, which is kind of some shameful shit, to be quite honest with you. Best televised limited series, anthology series, or motion picture made for television. Small acts. I talked about small acts a million times. I have watched the second movie in the small act series. What is the name of it? I don't have it in front of me. Remember I keep talking about Silly Games? Over and over and over that song, Janet Kay from the 19, from 1979. The song came out when I was born. Lover's Rock. That's the name of the film. I've watched Lover's Rock no less than 20 times. I just put it on as background music. I put it on with the intent of it being background music. And then I just stop what I'm doing and, and sit there and watch it. I love that film. It's such an amazing celebration of, of blackness. It's specifically about British Caribbean blackness. But blackness is kind of blackness worldwide. There's certain things that we all do. There's certain things that we all do. I was going to say descendants of West Africa do, but I've been to North, South, East, and West Africa, and there's some things that black folks just all have in common. Best performance by an actor in a television supporting role, John Boyega from Small Acts. That's an interesting supporting role. John Boyega, I believe, was the star of that film. That's interesting that he would be nominated for a supporting role. I'm leaving one person off this list. Uh, Don Cheadle was also nominated for Black Monday in that same category. So this sounds like a healthy amount of black folk, but it's really not. When you start thinking about other shows that were amazing this year, like we talked about Lovecraft Country, which got a nod, but the actors didn't get a nomination. I May Destroy You, by Michaela Cole, which was, it was a hard watch. It's an exploration of rape and sexual consent. I wrote a review about it for Essence when it aired. I watched all of the episodes back to back to back. It was really, 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 really grueling. But Michaela Cole, who at the very least wrote and directed the series, I think she had two more jobs as well. She was sexually assaulted in real life. And she created a series about her sexual assault and all of the feelings, thoughts, emotions, explorations that came to her because of what happened to her. Again, it's a hard watch, but it's such a necessary watch. And it was smart and insightful and just all around good. But it was completely snubbed. No one in the series got a nomination. The show did not get a nomination. Which is so crazy that a writer for Emily in Paris, and that show was nominated twice, a writer for Emily in Paris was like, yo, I didn't expect this show to get nominated. So she tweeted, her name is Deborah Kopakin. I was a writer on Emily in Paris, but your show was my favorite show since the dawn of TV. And this is just wrong. I loved I May Destroy You, and I thank you personally for giving us your heart, your mind, your resilience, and your humor. She also wrote a piece for The Guardian, and she said, quote, How anyone can watch I May Destroy You 
and not call it a brilliant work of art or Michaela Cole a genius is beyond my capacity to understand how these decisions are made. In upside news, Michaela Cole did earn a SAG nomination for Best Female Actor in a Television Movie or Limited Series. Other shows that were snubbed, Insecure, The Good Lord Bird. I watched the first two or three episodes of that and I just sort of lost interest. What I watched was good. It didn't hold my attention. But the LA Times, they wrote a piece about the omission of black talent for the Golden Globes. The headline read, quote, after a year defined by black stories, Golden Globe nominations fall short. They pointed out the lack of nominations for Lovecraft, the omission of I May Destroy You and The Good Lord Bird. They also pointed out the omission of Bridgerton, which is Netflix's highest rated show ever. Something like 84 million people watched Bridgerton. 84 million. You're doing Super Bowl numbers on Netflix. They pointed out that there was a lack of recognition in Best Picture nominations. They said none of the four black-led ensemble films at the forefront of the awards season, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Judas and the Black Messiah, One Night in Miami, and Defy Bloods, that was Spike Lee, none of those landed a shot at the top prize. They also pointed out that Delroy Lindo, who was amazing in Defy Bloods, they pointed out that he didn't get anything either. They also pointed out that Malcolm and Marie didn't get anything, which doesn't surprise me because the critics hate that film. We'll talk about that film in a second. They also noted that Uzu Aduba, she played Shirley Chisholm in Mrs. America, which she was phenomenal. I did watch that. They noted that she was missing a nomination in the limited series category. EW also had an article Their headline was, the biggest Golden Globe TV nominee snubs have one thing in common. And then deep into the article, the writer noted, while strong diversity gains were made on the film side of the nominations list, looking at the 40 acting nominations in the TV categories, only two black actors made the cut. That's Don Cheadle for Black Monday and John Boyega for Small Acts. EW went on to say, So it wasn't just that the resulting nominees were overwhelmingly white during a year that had fewer shows on the air, but they were overwhelmingly white in a year where there were obvious standout performances by non-white actors who critics and odd makers strongly believed gave award-worthy performances. Yeah, I, I don't expect much from Hollywood. I feel like every award season we have this exact same conversation about how black people are overlooked, ignored, not appreciated. Every single award season, we have the same conversation. Um, And this is one of the things that makes me very grateful for NAACP awards or Urban League awards or BET awards or any other black award show because waiting on white folks to acknowledge our greatness, we'd be waiting forever. I do want to talk about Malcolm and Marie, which just came out on Netflix over the weekend. I liked it. I hated Malcolm. I felt bad for Marie. I couldn't believe I watched a film, which was watching people argue in black and white for almost two hours. And yet I still liked it. Critics hate this film. The Atlantic said, quote, this isn't art. It's a meltdown. Billed as a story of a couple's romantic reckoning, the movie operates more as an exercise in patience. 
What ensues is a series of monologues, diatribes that go nowhere. Malcolm rants about her flaws, and then it's Marie's turn to tear him apart. On and on it goes, with the actor's rapid-fire delivery producing nothing fiery in substance. This is not a reckoning. It's a waste of talented stars, a stunning location, and gorgeous black-and-white photography. Vulture. (laughs) The headline was, The Utter Emotional Inauthenticity of Netflix's Malcolm & Marie. The article described it as, quote, a failure on nearly every level. Time. The headline, Zendaya dazzles in the otherwise dull Malcolm and Marie. Shit. I mean, it's an exhausting film. It's exhausting. It's a hard watch. You're watching a couple argue badly for nearly two hours. I I think what was frustrating is neither one of them are seeking a resolution, which is why I call it a bad argument. They're venting and wanting to be heard. They have all of these grievances and resentments toward each other that have gone unexpressed until this night where it all comes tumbling out. It feels very voyeuristic. If you've ever been out with a couple and they start arguing and then you got to sit there and just sort of like look away because you're not trying to take sides. It's very uncomfortable. But I thought that feeling of discomfort that I had watching the film is part of what made it good because if I'm watching you argue and I'm not uncomfortable then like then I'm not really feeling your argument is authentic I felt like their argument was authentic my writer friends and actor friends dragged the writing and the performances they were like John David Washington overacts he's not a great actor and I was like really because some of those monologues like hit me hit me and they were like Zendaya is out of her depth and I was like really And because I went into it thinking that Zendaya was going to be out of her depth because I've never watched Euphoria. I didn't grow up watching her on Disney. I look at her for her fashion because she can dress her ass off. She's a pretty girl. I like to look at her, but I wasn't expecting much more. And she delivered like an actress with depth and range. And I was like, oh, shit, I done underestimated the girl. I didn't know she had it in her. I thought she was just beautiful gowns, but she has the range. I felt bad. I really did. I thought she did a great job. The Lego monologue, I thought it was amazing. The thank you monologue at the end, thought it was amazing. I really enjoyed the film for what it was. Like two dysfunctional people in a toxic relationship arguing with one another. And it was exhausting. It was endless. On multiple occasions, I was like, yo, like y'all just need to go to bed. Y'all need to change out of your dress clothes. You need to put on your soft clothes and then you need to go to bed. And that just didn't happen. I needed John David Washington. I needed Malcolm. I needed him to stop drinking because I know you drank at the premiere and then you came home and had at least four more drinks. Sir, you're fucked up. No one's ever had a good argument that resolved anything with all of that liquor in their system. Go to bed. A good night's sleep will do folks wonders. Just calm yourselves down, figure out exactly what you're mad about, address it in the morning with a clear head. People be like, no, you can't go to bed angry. Yes, you can. You'll still be mad in the morning. It's not like the problem goes away. You can address it in the morning. It'll be there. But it was a hard watch. If If you've ever been in a toxic relationship with someone like Malcolm, whose version of arguing is essentially just to scorch the earth, to be right, And he'll say whatever he needs to say to be right. 
And in the case of Malcolm and Marie, like he brings up her drug addiction. He brings up the time she tried to kill herself, which I was like, seriously, you're saying this to somebody in an argument? She has a valid point of view. Like you did a whole film based on her, which you said wasn't based on her, but really was. And then tried to discredit her feelings about it, but okay. And when she points it out, instead of just like taking the L about it, you want to defend why you didn't? And then you call her crazy? Sir, you're being an emotional terrorist, which she calls him at some point in the movie. And yes, she is damaged. She has her own issues. One of them is not knowing that she doesn't deserve Malcolm's bullshit. I remember before the film came out, there was a lot of conversation about the visual age gap between John David Washington and Zendaya. He's in his mid-30s. She is, I think, 24 in real life. But I think it actually worked for the film because watching it as a 41-year-old, I wouldn't have argued with him. Like, you, you're drunk, you're on your ego high, you can't really be reasoned with right now. I told you, I'm fine, we'll talk about it in the morning, we'll talk about it another time, let's just go to bed. I can get in the bed and go to sleep. If you want to argue because that's what you feel like doing, argue with yourself. I will get in the bed and pull the sheets up over my head. And if you want to be the asshole who stands there and yells at somebody with the sheets over their head, you can be that. It's abusive, but you can be that. But I'm not engaging with you. I don't feel like it. I don't have to. So I won't. But at 20 something, like I didn't realize that I didn't have to attend every argument that I was invited to. And I definitely didn't have to accept the invitation on the spot. Like you want to argue you're mad about something. You can be mad and it'll be fine. You'll live. So will I. But at 20 something, I would have had to go at it with you. At 40 something, get the fuck out of here. I'm going to sleep. But all of that, like, ranting and raving and cursing and bringing up old shit and throwing in my face, like, I did this for you when you couldn't do this for yourself and you were this horrible person and you were in such a bad place. At one point, Malcolm is telling Marie, like, when I met you, you couldn't even, like, keep your eyes open. You would nod off mid-sentence. And he was telling her this and I was thinking to myself, what the fuck is wrong with you? That you met someone who was clearly in the throes of addiction and you decided, hmm, I'm going to try to pursue a relationship with that person. And then another point, he goes and tells her like, yeah, I've dated plenty of fucked up people. Like there was this person who used to take hour long showers and then there was this person and there was that person. And I was like, bruh, what is it about you that is so attracted to dysfunctional women? Like, what are you seeking? Like, you have a savior complex? Like, you don't feel you have enough to offer someone who's, like, you know, at your level. So you go seek people who are clearly fucked up so they can feel like they need you or they don't see your flaws as clearly because their flaws are so much more obvious when they're fucked up. But then they get sober and they can see clearly, which I think is what happened with Malcolm and Marie. But I like the film. And dare I say, like, because I did a review on my social media page and I think a lot of other people like the film too. If nothing else, it generated a lot of conversation. One of the big pieces of conversation about that film, they come home at one o'clock in the morning and she makes him craft mac and cheese. So she boils some noodles and puts some powdered cheese over them. She asks if he wants salted or unsalted butter. I can't remember what his response is. And she puts it all in a bowl on the counter and serves it to him. 
And it looks like a bunch of maggots in a bowl. It looked disgusting. And when I saw that scene, it was early on in the film, I had to stop and pause and then go Google and be like, who wrote this scene? Who directed this film? I knew it wasn't a black person based on the mac and cheese because it was just so culturally off. And then I was surprised to see that the film was actually written for Zendaya and John David Washington. And I was like, y'all wrote this with black characters in mind? And nobody thought to say this craft mac and cheese thing would never happen. Like it was so culturally off. Like it was jarring that I was like, what, what is this? I've been black a long time. I've dated a lot of black men. You cannot come home from an event with a black man. Or promise to make any kind of food for him. Essentially to sober him up so he can go to bed. But you cannot come home and serve a black man craft macaroni and cheese. And if you do. You can't just serve it the way it comes in the box. Like, you're not going to add no pepper. You're not going to add no extra seasoning. You're not going to, like, like spruce it up. You're not going to give it no razzle-dazzle, like nothing. You're just going to serve him some noodles and some powdered cheese. And I was like, you know what? Like, I mean, I understand it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's doing, like, a full baked mac and cheese like we would do for Thanksgiving. But still, I was like, one, black people don't eat mac and cheese as a meal. There's always going to be one or two. But in general, culturally, mac and cheese for black people is a side. It's not a whole meal. But I was like, if you're going to come home and cook, like you would make a sandwich. You might make some top ramen. That's quick. I've done that many a time. You might make a burger. I've made a burger. I've made sandwich. I actually made a salad once. Bruh came home fucked up and was like, can you make me a salad, D? I love your salad. Like he was really fucked up. And I was like, yo, you're going to be fucked up in the morning. I'm going to make you a salad. I'm going to put like 50 million croutons in it because your ass needs some carbs to sober up. But yeah, but I was like, Kraft mac and cheese for a black man? It just didn't connect. And many people felt the same way. Like I saw people talking about that Kraft mac and cheese all over the internet. That's a bizarre food choice. It's not the only thing. But one of the things that I really didn't like about the film, there's a point in the film where Malcolm gets a film review and it's like, 90% glowing and 10% critical of some of his choices. And I point that out because I can say that I liked something, that I enjoyed something, but I didn't enjoy every single aspect of it. Like I liked watching Malcolm and Marie. I may actually watch it again, but there are some choices in the film that I was like, huh? And one of them was they argue for these two hours and I don't know what the resolution is. Like they told each other the truth about their feelings and they said all of these painful things and they revealed how they felt about each other, the love parts and the hate parts. But it's like, but, but where does this go? What do you do differently going forward? Like, does anything change in this relationship or you just had this big ass fight and then you just keep doing the same shit going forward? Because that's what a lot of people do. You just have like this verbal release which is a substitute for physical release because they didn't have sex in the film. But you have this big verbal release, and then what? Like, we don't know what happens next or going forward. So I was like, did I just watch these people argue for two hours and nothing changes? That's kind of a waste of time. It was, it was good dialogue. I felt like I was watching theater as opposed to, like, watching a, a film film. But I wanted some sort of, like, resolution after I just watched people argue for two hours. I didn't get that. But otherwise, I like the film. 
Mm. Last but not least, we haven't discussed politics in quite some time. And it's not for a lack of things going on. It's just like I got sick of talking about politics. And things really just aren't as crazy. I mean, there's crazy happening, but it's not crazy coming from like the top, the White House. But in Congress, in Congress, there is crazy. There is crazy. There is, what is her name? I didn't write her name down. I really wrote her description as GOPQ, the crazy lady in Congress. Her name is Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is a Republican who won Georgia's 14th Congressional District, and she is a public QAnon supporter. Now, I said I was going to leave Georgia alone after y'all delivered for the Senate. I'm going to leave black Georgia alone. I ain't got nothing to say against black Georgia. Like y'all, y'all good money. Y'all did what y'all was supposed to do. Y'all good with me. But white Georgia elected this nutcase to Congress. The Baltimore Sun had a really good rundown of the extent of her crazy shit. Let's start here in no particular order. Before she ran for Congress, she filmed herself wandering around the Capitol looking for two representatives who are Muslim. She wanted to make them retake their oaths of office on a Bible instead of the Quran. She said, quote, I really want to go talk to these ladies and ask them what they are thinking and why they are serving in our American government. They really should go back to the Middle East. One of the women was born in Detroit, which has the largest enclave of Muslims in the United States. Another one of the women, she was born in Somalia. She came to the U.S. when she was 12. She became a U.S. citizen five years later when she was 17. So go back to the Middle East. Like, Somalia is not the Middle East. That's Africa. The other woman, she's born in Detroit. That's the Midwest. That's not the Middle East. A month after she did that dumb shit, she came back to D.C., And she stalked a Parkland shooting survivor, berating him about a gun control bill. You remember Parkland? That was the high school that got shot up. I think that was 17 students died. And those very smart students organized a national protest. They raised hell because they were like, yo, we shouldn't have to fear guns in our schools. What the fuck is wrong with America? We still haven't gotten them kids a resolution. And again, I'm reading from the Baltimore Sun. So if you think like Demetria, this didn't happen. You're saying crazy shit. No, I'm not. I'm quoting reputable news sources. Of the Las Vegas mass shooting in 2017, where a man opened fire from a hotel room window and killed 58 people, this crazy nutcase chick said the shooting might have been staged. She said, quote, how do you get avid gun owners and people that support the Second Amendment to give up their guns and go along with anti-gun legislation? You make them scared. You make them victims and you change their mindset. And then possibly you can pass anti-gun legislation. Is that what happened in Las Vegas? Of Cori Bush. She's new to the Congress. She's a Democrat from Missouri. She's a Black Lives Matter activist turned lawmaker in her first term. 
This lady called her, quote, the leader of the St. Louis Black Lives Matter terrorist mob. Same nutcase chick. She mulled about House Speaker Nancy Pelosi being assassinated. She suggested in an online video that Pelosi should be executed for treason. She said that Jewish-controlled space rays caused wildfires. She said a 9-11 plane never hit the Pentagon. The fuck? This is an elected member of Congress. People voted for this nutcase. And when she got to Washington, they put her on committees. Guess which committees they put her on? The Education Committee. The woman thinks school shootings are a hoax and harassed a survivor of a school shooting and they put her on the Education Committee. She was also on the Budget Committee. They took care of that, though, in a vote of 230 to 199. 199 people, all Republicans in the House, they voted to keep this nutcase woman on her committees. Thank God for the other 230, 11 of which were Republicans who had some damn sense. Green has since apologized, sort of. For some of the things that she said, she did acknowledge that the September 11th attacks actually did happen. She did acknowledge that school shootings are absolutely real. She also said that she's not sorry for harassing the teenage school shooting survivor. And when asked how she felt of being stripped from the committees, she said, I'm fine with being kicked off my committees because it would have been a waste of my time. Now I have a lot of free time on my hands, which means I can talk to a whole lot more people all over this country. This is who's sitting up in the House of Representatives, who is a leader in our government, who is a representative of Georgia. Georgia seemed to be progressing because they elected two Democrats to the Senate. So it seemed like there was hope on the horizon. But this chick... It's a stark reminder of once you get outside of the enclaves of cities, the shit you encounter. And not just in Georgia. I was listening to Charles Blow talk about his new book. And he talks about how black people need to create a voting block. And clearly we can't take over the West. And the Northeast is white folks. And he was like, it's a whole lot of black people in the South. And what if all the folks that went north for the Great Migration or their families went north for the Great Migration? What if they came back to the south? There was a conversation in Clubhouse where he was talking about why it's imperative that black people move to the south. And he said one of the arguments that he always hears is Atlanta's dope, which is where Blow lives. And he was like, but once you drive outside of, you know, Fulton County or DeKalb County, like you're fucked. It's racist. And he was like, yeah, but once you drive like an hour north of New York City, it's Trump flags. Or once you drive like an hour out of L.A., you're in San Diego, which is racist as shit. He was like, I mean, you act like Atlanta's so bad, but you got the same situation in all these quote and unquote liberal enclaves that y'all love so much. And I was like, hmm. But you like to think you're safe in these cities or because the state flipped blue. There's a slightly overwhelming majority gives you a sense of safety or a sense of progress. And then you see nutcase chicks like this being elected to Congress. 
So that's it. That's the podcast for the week. I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but Don't Waste Your Pretty merchandise is still on sale. At least the mugs and signed copies of Don't Waste Your Pretty are still available. Ratchet and Respectable merch, especially if you're a small or an extra small, is still available on DemetriaLLucas.com. So if you are interested, please head to the site and purchase. That stuff sells out really fast. I'm surprised the mugs and books have lasted this long. I'm only doing a limited edition of signed copies. So if you'd like a signed copy of the second edition, please pick that up. And I think that's everything. If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday, please follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you are not subscribed to Ratchet and Respectable, please do so to make sure that you get the alert of when there is a new podcast posted. I think that is everything. We will talk again soon on Friday. Thanks for listening. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.